Well, good morning. It is great to be with you. If you got a Bible, would you open to open to the book of Romans? We are continuing in our study in the book of Romans, and we find ourselves today in Romans fifteen eight through th- uh, through thirteen. But we're going to focus in on one verse today, and that is Romans fifteen thirteen. Now, while you're uh, turning there, let me catch you up. Uh, We've been preaching through the book of Romans, and we just sang about the greatest news in the universe. And this is Paul's argument, that if sinners like you and me turn from their sin, it's called repentance, and if they trust in Jesus... It's called faith. Then Jesus' death pays for our spiritual debt. It's good news. It's good news. Then his righteousness becomes our righteousness. Then his Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, comes and lives inside of his children. We are adopted into his family. And as he lives inside of us, Romans tells us that nothing will separate us from his love. And therefore, we have hope. We have hope. Because that same God who raised his son from the dead is the God who promises to grant eternal life to anyone who will trust in him. And not only that, but it's the same God who lives inside of us and promises us that day by day we're going to look more and more like Jesus. We're going to be filled more and more with his love and his joy and his peace. But Romans continues. You dive into chapter 12 and he says, just to make sure this is clear, this is a letter to the church. This isn't something that God is just doing in a bunch of individuals. He's doing it in his people. That we are a collective whole. We are uniquely interconnected as the church. We are united not only to Jesus, but to his people. The church, group of gathered believers, are stamped on their conscience, on their hearts with He says, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Summary, Jesus came that all peoples of every nation, tribe, and tongue might be a part of his church. So this is the summary of Paul's argument, that anyone of any ethnicity, who repents of their sin, no matter their past, and trusts in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of their sin, is made righteous in Christ, made new, brought into his family, and will be used as a means of declaring God's glory to the ends of the earth. So, it's pretty remarkable. You stare in the face of all these differences in the church. These are differences that literally have historically crushed countries and divided relationships, and the church is meant to stand like a city on a hill that doesn't despise differences but delights in them, is united together. And it, 
It's because they have this one mind, this one mind that says, I consider you better than myself. And therefore, Romans 15, verse 7, we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. This is Paul's argument. The argument is the church delighting in its differences is characterized by hope because our God can be trusted. That's the argument of Romans 15.8. Let me read 15.8 again. Look at it with me. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the, circ- a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. You could underline that word and circle it. In order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. The point of Jesus coming was to show that God keeps his word. If you ever go to a concert, usually there's a headlining name for that concert. I'm going to go to some throwback names. But let's say you go to a concert for Aretha Franklin. Or you go to a concert for Elvis. Or you go to a concert for Michael Jackson. Okay, If you're going to a concert, these opening acts, they're okay. But you're waiting for the main event, right? And if you pay money for a ticket to see Aretha Franklin and all you get are opening acts, you're going to be frustrated because they didn't keep their word. Here's what's happening. The whole Old Testament is telling us that the main act is the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. You have all these opening acts of the prophets coming and warning and constantly saying that Jesus is going to come. And this passage, this verse says, the main act showed up. He came. And he confirmed all the promises of the Old Testament. All the promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's confirmed them all. So now you know that the God of the Bible is trustworthy. He keeps his word. Paul's point is this. If our God can be trusted, we have hope. We don't have to be hopeless because our God is trustworthy. And this brings us to the verse of focus today. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. I want to read it. I'm going to pray And I just have been pleading with God that there is genuine sense of anticipation that God is going to use his word to change your life and our lives in this church. Romans 15, 13. Here's the verse of focus. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you might abound in hope. That's God's word. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. And through it, you promise to bring in endurance and encouragement. You promise to bring wisdom and love. And so we ask. We ask that we would see your son clearer. We ask that our hearts would be filled with deeper worship. We pray you would get glory. We would get joy and peace. And that we would abound in hope and give it away as long as you give us breath. Please, Father, we ask for your mercy now. In Jesus' name.
Amen. So as we arrive on the scene, Romans 15, 13, Paul just wants to be really clear that God can be trusted. He's trustworthy to keep all of his promises, and that's why he's called in this verse the God of hope. He's not a God of hope if he doesn't keep his promises, but if he keeps his promises, then we can hope in everything that he says. And our hope is solid. Here's what our hope is not. Our hope is not that we'll be free of pain in this earth. Our hope is not that we will experience no storm. Our hope is not that our Thanksgiving meals will be this wonderful picture of peace and harmony. I can't promise you that. So what's the hope? Our hope is that while the winds of this broken world are blowing all around us, our God will always be with us. You'll never face the struggles alone. And our hope is he will get us to the end and we will see him one day when all of our desires are met in Christ. The hope is that God is in the boat with us even when the winds start raging. The hope is he is never ceasing to work for us in the here and now and that hope is solid. So why do we struggle? Why is there a gap in our experience? This verse promises there's a God of hope and He can fill us with all joy and peace in believing. The Bible tells us He's trustworthy. Why is there this massive gap between our experience and these promises? It's because Trust is hard when struggles are high. When things are challenging, they seem insurmountable, we struggle. Here's what I mean. It reminds me of driving to Tennessee to visit my family. As I drive to Tennessee, it takes about six hours. We travel this quite a bit over the many years. So as you're driving, my family has begun to trust me. And here's how I know they trust me. Because they don't pay attention much to the road. They're on their gadgets or they're doing homework or they're laughing and cutting up and telling jokes and, you know, wondering about when food is coming and all those kind of things until we hit the mountains. And it's when you get on the mountains of Asheville that you begin to wind through all these roads. And it's at the very same time when what happens is you have this massive barrier on your left and ginormous semi-trucks on your right. And so you're driving, swerving, and all of a sudden, the jokes don't happen as often. They're not on their gadgets a lot. Their heads are up, partially because of car sickness. But it's like you can reach your arm out the window and touch the truck. And when that happens... Nerves begin to kind of come in. There's not a sense of, of peace as much anymore or joy as much anymore. Hey, watch out for this. Hey, watch out for this. You hear the comments because the trust is eroding all of a sudden. Why is that? Well, they would say, it's, it's dad's driving. And I would say, maybe. But maybe it's all the things that seem to squeeze us in these moments. And this is why trust begins to drain out. Why then joy and peace begin to leak is 
when we experience circumstances that seems to squeeze us, we get anxious, the opposite of peace. We get frustrated, the opposite of joy. And it's because we struggle to trust. And this is why Paul tells us in Romans 15, 13, he tells us that it's, it's not enough to just say in easy moments, like it might be easy right now to say I trust the God of the Bible. Because kind of you're in a sober moment, you, you've been singing, you know, church is kind of this gathering place where faith can be renewed. I can trust Him. What we're looking for is the everyday moments when things seem to squeeze. And that's why Paul says what he says in Romans 15, 13. Look at what he says with me. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. And what are the next two words? In believing. Present tense verb, which means he is saying that the only way joy and peace will be characteristic of our lives in the everyday when things squeeze us is moment by moment. Fear by fear, trusting that God is keeping his promises. It's everyday trusting. It's fighting to take every one of your fears in every moment and say, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. God, I trust you. This is how the waters of joy and peace rise, and this is how hope abounds. Those who keep trusting find rest. It's frustratingly simple, yet deeply profound. And this is why the title of the sermon is, Oh God, Help Us Trust You. Oh God, Help Us Trust You. You know, you look at Peter out walking on the water in the Gospels. It was when the winds start blowing, he begins to sink. This is our lives. Oh God, Help Us Trust You. And as we trust Him, we pray that the gap between the promise and our experience, they just begin to close more often. Now in my life, when I have felt a sense of threat or, you know, situational claustrophobia, when I get this sense of circumstances are hard, I take spatial images to remind myself of the promises of God. I believe Paul does this all throughout the book of Romans. The question is, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. What are you believing? What are you going to use in the everyday moments to say, I believe that. I trust you in this. What are you believing? And I'm saying that there are some spatial images. And here's what they are. Our God has gone before us. In his steadfast love. Our God goes ahead of us. In his providence. Our God is with us. He is present. And our God is inside of us. With his full supply. Any of those or all of those. Are the ammunition you need to shoot at your anxiety. And your anger and your frustration. And friends, it's not a one-time thing. It is a moment-by-moment acknowledging I'm afraid, and it is then therefore taking these promises and saying, God, I trust you. I trust you with my feet.
question. What in the world is Paul calling us to continue to believe so that joy and peace, all joy and peace, that's a massive promise, can be ours in the everyday. And therefore, we'll abound in hope. So let's take the first one. Trust God's steadfast love. He's gone before us. Where do we see that? What is his going before us work? It's the cross. He's gone before us in that Jesus came. He died a sinner's death. Proving all of the promises will be kept. He was raised from the dead. Showing that he has the power to deliver on his word. Where do we get that from the text? I've read it twice already. I'll read it a third time. Romans 15, 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness and in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Jesus came for Jew and Gentile so that anyone who trusts in his death on the cross might find new life. Jesus came to demonstrate God's trustworthiness. And we're also told that that cross, Jesus coming, dying on the cross, is a picture of God's infinite love for us. Romans 5, 8. For God demonstrated what? His love for us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Where did he demonstrate his love? It was on the cross. So how in the world do we have hope in the face of our sin, in the face of our pain? We are continuing to believe, continuing to look and gaze at the cross of Jesus Christ. It is at the cross where we see God's trustworthy love, His steadfast love, His dependable, enduring love. And it's there that we need every moment Every moment that we just keep giving to him over and over. Paul is saying, if there's ever a place to fix your eyes upon when you are questioning the love of God for you, fix your eyes on the cross. Fix your eyes upon the crucified Savior. And we have to rehearse it day after day. For some of us who think that the suffering that we have gone through the pain that we are going through, some of us are tempted to believe that that is actually proof that God's love has left us, that he's no longer for us. I want to give you this quote from Dane Ortland in Deeper. It's one of my favorite quotes. He says this, your life doesn't disprove God's love. His life proves it. Your suffering doesn't define you. His suffering does. He goes on to say, if you are suffering involuntarily, look to the one who voluntarily suffered in your place and run into his arms as the one who proved that he loves you enough to die for you. We are so tempted to look at the wrong life to look at our life, our suffering, our pain, and he is saying, look at the cross. Look at Christ. 
And therefore you will see love proved. He has gone before us. He has borne our shame and our guilt. And sometimes our joy and pain don't go away simply because we're suffering, but sometimes it goes away because we're walking in sin. We're walking in rebellion to God. But that too is conquered at Calvary. And so rather than feeling like, here's here's the scenario I'm thinking, you've just sinned, you feel massive shame and guilt, therefore you don't have joy and peace, many times the solution is, I've got to do better, I've got to fix this myself. And instead, what Paul is saying, keep believing. Take your sin, stop trying to put it on your own shoulders to try to somehow satisfy God's requirements on your own shoulders. Instead, say, I have sinned in this, oh God, I trust your work on the cross. Forgive me. Forgive me. The out loud confession brings back this sense of freedom, forgiveness, joy, and peace. Paul has already told us in Romans 8 that the cross screams over all of us that he is for you. Right? Romans 8, 31. If God is for you, who can be against you? Romans 8, 32. If he did not spare his own son, hear that. If he did not spare his own son, what's he talking about? The cross. Thanks for the participation. Really appreciate that. So if he did not spare his own son, the cross, but gave him over for us all, how will he not also give you everything that you need? You see what he's doing? You can trust him. And the way you know it is by staring at the Christ of Calvary. And as you set your gaze, not just on a Sunday, but every single day, moment by moment, multiple times a day, as you set your gaze to Calvary, joy rises and so does peace. Romans 15, 13 is calling us to trust the steadfast love of Jesus who has gone before us, but it's also calling us to trust the providence of God who goes ahead of us. Trust the providence of God who goes ahead of us. We can trust our God with our future. Where do you get that in the text? Well, Romans 15, 13 begins with these words. May the God of what? Hope. What is hope? Hope is present confidence in God's future provision. It's future orientation. It says because you have done all that you've promised because you sent your son and you're trustworthy, I can trust you for everything that's coming down the pike even though I don't know what it is. Hope is trusting forward. It's trusting in God now for what's to come. And saying the God of hope is on the scene. You can trust him. But he's like, I get that you're fragile because he was fragile. I know I am. And I forget these things. So he's saying, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace because you've got to keep believing he's going ahead of you. He holds your future in his hands. And so, where do we hear about God securing our days, securing our moment by moment, securing the future? One of the most famous verses in all the Bible are found in Romans 8:28. Right? 
God works all things together for good. He's sovereign. He's in control for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. What about Romans 11, 34 and 36? Who has known the mind of the Lord? And who is God's counselor? Answer, nobody. For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever and ever. Romans has been telling us our God is in control. He's got this. We can trust him. He's sovereign. But lest we forget, I did not say we are trusting him that he is sovereign. I said that we are trusting in God's providence. We mentioned this when we did a flash, quick run through Romans 9. But I bring it back to you. Because sovereignty means you're in control, but you can be control and not be very good or not be very kind. Providence anchors God's sovereignty in purpose, in His love, in His fatherly care. Here's a quote from John Piper's book, Providence. Providence is God's purposeful sovereignty. He has fatherly care, wise rule, just rule. The adjectives we put in front of sovereignty turn it into providence. And this is why it's helpful to keep rehearsing. You're not just rehearsing, God, you're in control, but he might not be doing good to us. You're rehearsing, God, you're in control, and you are my father. And even though I don't understand what all is coming, I trust that your fatherly hand, Your loving kindness is at work, even in my deepest pains. Paul tells us we have hope because God is God, and he goes ahead of us. He is never cold to his children. And hear this, but he is flooded with more love than you have had for anyone in your entire life. Or anything. More love than you have for your children, for your spouse, for your job, for your possessions, for yourself. Our God loves. That's the kind of control that is going before us. And so Paul is saying, keep believing, keep trusting. What does our anxiety do? Because remember what the promise is. Joy and peace. What's the opposite of peace? Anxiety. Fear. What does our anxiety do? It looks at the future and forecasts the worst, right? Forecasts the worst. We're kind of like weather forecasters. (laughs) We miss it a lot more than we get it, okay? Forgive me if any of you are meteorologists. I'm really thankful for what you do, but you get my point. It's not exact science. This is how we are. Anxiety takes all these scenarios and we begin to wonder about the what if. And I remember, I remember being anxious, specifically in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and needing to set to memory Matthew chapter 6 because my anxiety was so high. And it's in Matthew chapter 6 where he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
But then you're tempted to think, okay, but how do I know you'll do good to me tomorrow? Well, he tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you of more value than they? That's providence. I'm in control of birds, and if I'm in control of them, you're a lot more valuable than they are. I love you. These are the kind of promises that we've got to begin to commit to memory, plead for God to press them into our hearts, because these are the things that when we're squeezed, we forget. But these are the things that Paul is encouraging us to keep setting our mind on over and over and over. The future is too much for you. God has it. Trust Him. So when Romans 15, 13 is this promise for us, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Believing what? We're believing He has gone before us, and so we look at the cross. We believe He goes ahead of us, so we trust His providence. And we also believe He is with us. And so we rehearse His presence. We trust that He is present with us. It's another spatial image that He is right here. He's not distant. Now where do I get that from Romans 15? I don't know if you caught this, but I agree with John Calvin. This is a prayer. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Paul breaks in every now and then and starts praying. And he's praying for the church. Why does he pray? Because Paul had a praying spirit. He knew the Lord was with him wherever he went. He didn't have to wait to pray to come to church. He didn't have to wait to pray for a prayer closet. He just knew that God was always with him, so he would pray. And he didn't stop to pray because, oh, I know that I... Uh, there's a command out there that I, I need to pray. He stopped to pray because he was desperate and he loved the church. He knew what it was like to live life and to be like, my joy feels really far away. My peace feels like a distant memory. And he knows what it's like for the church that he's walking alongside to experience those same things. And so he prays. He prays. I want you, church, to know not just the partial, the all joy and peace that is yours in Christ Jesus. I get it, friends. It does. It feels like a Grand Canyon-sized gap between our experience and that promise. And I'm just telling you, the more we are aware of our emotions, our struggles, our sin tendencies, the more in the moment we just constantly, moment by moment, fear by fear, tear by tear, we say, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. And we say that because he's right here with us. He's present with us. We can trust him. But I have seen so many people bound up because they don't take everything to the Lord in prayer. Only some things. Only the things that feel worthy of God's attention. And usually, it's the small things 
that we don't articulate to God and we try to solve ourselves and they're the ones that all mess up our hearts. Here's where it landed for me. God genuinely wants us, in order for hope to abound, He genuinely wants us to take everything off of our shoulders and say, I trust your shoulders to handle it. I can't do this. I've been anxious in past seasons and in this season at times that I will not get everybody what they need for Christmas or that I will miss a sale and therefore pay more money. Have you ever been there? Have you ever prayed about that? Usually what I do about those anxiety moments is I just worry about it, don't articulate it to God, and then I just try to solve it. Stay up later, search harder, you know, try to be a little more covert and trying to find out what everybody wants. I can be anxious about that, and I just need to be honest and say, God, I need you to take that. What about watching sports? Yesterday was a really bad day for me. Can I talk to you about that? I'm a Tennessee volunteer fan, which meant I have one aim on a Sunday. I cheer against everybody that would hurt Tennessee, and I cheer for Tennessee. Can I tell you, without fail, every team I cheered for lost yesterday. Every one of them. I'm looking at maybe 10 games, and I just knew it. Like, I was, I was going to stay up late to see if this other team, you know, pulled it out. I, yeah, I knew they would pull it out because I was cheering for the other team. And sure enough, I woke up this morning and look at it. Yeah, the other team won. I was anxious. I just had to be honest. I was angry that Tennessee's defense looked so bad, okay? This is not the time for this, but how many of us have been short with those around us? How many of us have not lived lives of peace or joy because of sports moments? How many of us have thought about ever taking that to the Lord? God, help me. I'm a little irritable right now. I'm anxious. Let alone the fears of, what if I don't get my work done? What if I can't pay the bills? Friends, I'm telling you, if you believe God is right here with you, then God begins to help you see where the joy and peace are absent, and he's saying, I want it all. I want it all because I love you. And there is such healing in outlouding to the Lord your anxiety, your fear, asking Him to make you aware of where you're irritable, where you're frustrated, where you're anxious, and just say, oh God, I trust you. You're my Father. You're with me. And this is where the Word and prayer are married together. Romans 15.4 has already told us, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Where are we going to get hope in the midst of our struggle? We remember the Scriptures. And so what am I praying? God, you promise you're going to work everything to good. If my team loses... I know it's going to be for my good and for their good. I don't like this at all, but I trust you. If I'm anxious about what I spend my money on, God, you promise you feed the birds. I'm more valuable than the birds. I trust you. 
What did I just do? I took promises, I laid them upon that, and I'm praying them to God. God delights, He encourages, He gives us endurance through His Word. He can give joy and peace. And so that's why one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 1611. Anybody know it? In your presence is what? Fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I believe that is telling us to set our gaze on our future hope when we will be with him face to face. But it is also saying that that future hope has broken into the here and now. And that God is with us. And he can be trusted. It's in his presence where there's joy and peace. And some of you, especially in the midst of such busy times over Thanksgiving break, make it a priority every single day to be still with Jesus. If you won't, if you don't, you will not have the energy, the strength, the patience, the words, the joy, the demeanor to love those that you interact with. Some of you are afraid of your Thanksgiving interactions. And I get that. Our promise is not that Thanksgiving will be a picture of peace. Our promise is that our God will be with us through it all. We can trust Him. And if we trust Him, joy and peace rise because He's our hope. The last spatial image is not only that He's gone before us, He goes ahead of us, He's with us, but He is inside of us. He's inside of us giving us all the supply we need. Someone can be with you, but unable to help you, right? They can be beside you, but they can't do something about your life. Our God has taken up residence within us to say, I am the solution to everything you face. Romans 15, 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the what? The, the weakness of the Holy Spirit? By the short supply of the Holy Spirit? No. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Now what's Romans 8 already told us about the Holy Spirit? It says the same Spirit, Romans 8, 11, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of you. So take that in Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power, the full supply of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of you, you might what? What's the next word? Abound. And it's present tense. You might keep abounding in hope. Hope might be what you're characterized by more often than hopelessness. And it's all through what are we believing moment by moment. And here we believe that He is inside of us. His Holy Spirit is power. And He is supplying us with all we need. Now, we are so wanting this to be light switch Christianity. You know, it's like, I trust in Jesus. I gave Him my life. I surrendered. Light switch on. I got joy and peace. And it doesn't go away. It's not light switch Christianity. It's more like filling up a kiddie pool with water. And here's what I mean. In the summer, we took a kid's pool. We would blow it up. You know, these kiddie pools, right? We blow it up, and my kids love to be in the kiddie pool. 
But here's the way it worked. I'd take this water hose, I'd put it in the kiddie pool, and the water would begin to rise. But my kids did not want to wait for the water to get where it needed to get. My kids wanted to get in early. So with like an inch of water, they get into this pool and they start splashing around. And I'm like, well, man, this is going to take forever because you're supposed to keep the water in the pool until I get it to a level. And then, you know, what happens is, imperceptibly, they're sitting in there splashing around. The water hose is in the pool. The water keeps rising. They're splashing around. Water keeps going out. Water keeps rising. They're splashing around. Water keeps, this is how the Holy Spirit of God works. We, we sin, we get anxious, we have anger, we splash all of this supply all over the place, but God just keeps filling. He just keeps filling over and over, and imperceptibly, the more we trust Him, the more those waters of supply rise in our heart, the more joy and peace abound. It's not instantaneous, but his grace always exceeds our sin. His mercy always outmatches our discouraged, water-dumping hearts. The Bible image, the reason I used water is the Bible image of the Holy Spirit is that he is like a river. He's like a river. The Bible even says, a river whose streams make glad, there's our joy word, the city of God. Who's the city of God? It's the people of God. The Holy Spirit is in our midst, making us glad. The Holy Spirit's compared to a river. But here's our deal. If I'm to ask you, yes, the Spirit of God dwells inside of me. If I'm to ask you, is it the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead? Yes. If I'm to ask you, will he give you everything you need? You say yes. When the pressure comes and presses, many times we believe he's a river, but his waters are really low. The image is more like this image right here, the image of this river, where we believe he's inside of us, but the water is a little low, and the circumstances, all those rocks, they're much more pronounced. That's not the picture of the scriptures. The biblical picture is the opposite. What's Romans 15, 13 say? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit we might what? Abound in hope. This is the image that you need to think of when you think of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Literally, all throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is a river that overflows in abundance. The word is torrents. The word is mighty rushing river in your heart. This is how the Bible talks about it in the book of John. It says that he is like, uh, Jesus stood up, John 7, 37. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And this he said about the Spirit of God. This is what's inside of you. It's the power of the living God dwelling inside of you. And so, dear friends, I encourage you. I encourage you in this moment to realize that this journey of trusting in the Lord is not a one-time gig. It's a moment-by-moment trusting. That he's gone before, he goes ahead, he is with us, and he is inside of us. 
And he's inside of us with his steadfast love. And he is working with his providential care. And he is with us with his presence. And he is inside of us with his full supply. So, I pray this for you and for me. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we all, church, can abound in hope. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask that you would get glory for your name by being the great supplier of our needs. And that, Father, you would help us become more aware of our need. And that we would give it to you day by day. And we would be able to say, that thing I'm afraid of, God, I give it to you. I trust you. We'd be able to say, those tears that I'm shedding, I don't know how this is going to work, but I give you my tears. I give you this struggle. I give you this pain. I give you this relational tension. God, help us, I pray, to become more aware of what we're trying to handle ourselves. And may we just delight in your presence. And so, Father, I just ask that you would sweep over us by the power of your Holy Spirit and you would comfort your people. You say, come to me. All who are weary and feel weighed down, and I will give you rest. So Father, please give rest, I pray. Let's just take a moment right now and just pray. I pray that the Lord has stirred something up in your heart. If there are sins that you need to confess to the Lord, confess them right now. Do not try to fix them yourself and wait until you've done a little better before you go to the Lord. Take them right now to the Lord. If there are fears, if there are areas of deep sadness, of deep hopelessness, Right now, Jesus has come to confirm God is trustworthy. Right now, just write it down. Just take it to the Lord, whatever you need to do. And say, God, I can trust you. I'm pleading with the Lord that he would relieve burden after burden. Cynical mind after cynical mind. Hopelessness after hopelessness. And that what would abound in our hearts is joy and peace and hope. time to pray and then we will sing about our living home.